welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Tommy Miller. For more information about Legacy Church, please visit us online at www.legacychurchclm.org. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your son, that he came, that he, uh, he laid his life down on his own accord that he lived a life that we couldn't live, that he died a death that we couldn't die so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we confess that this is an open heaven. It's a place of healing, a place of transformation, a place where angels minister. They ascend and descend. They they move to and fro. Your Holy Spirit is here, present, able to teach, convict, exhort, and comfort. And Lord, we just ask that we be sensitive and obedient to what you desire to do here today. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Give the Lord a shout if you're excited to be in his house. Man, oh man. All right, we're going to continue in week three of the series, Get It Right. Do me a favor and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter three, verse seven. And while you're getting there, I'll give a little bit of foundation of where we've been and where we're heading. How many of you understand that one of the best ways to examine yourself as a human is to allow the Lord to question you? As a matter of fact, one of the most effective ways that the Lord can reveal something to you is ask you a question that he already knows the answer to. Most of the growth and development in my spiritual life has come at a time when the Lord is saying, hey, are you sure? How many of you ever done that? Say, Lord, my motives are pure. My heart's right. And he says, are you sure? And you're like, well, (laughs) when you put it that way, I mean... You have to go back and look again sometimes. So my intention over the course of this six-week series is to provide us with firm answers to questions that all of humanity spends their entire existence searching for. And what happens when you continue in your spiritual life on a search, you can never start your mission. The first question we answered was, who am I? If we don't believe that our identity was purchased on our behalf on the cross of Jesus Christ and imparted to us by faith in the righteousness that comes from God, then we will spend our entire lives searching for validation in titles, tasks, and people's approval. Rather than standing and living from a finished work, we'll be trying to perfect something that's already been perfected by continually searching for the applause and the affirmation of the people around us and the results that we're, we're getting in our ministries. <coughs> the second week, we covered the question, where am I from? And this might not seem like that interesting of a topic, nor that important of a topic, but we brought up the point that if you go on a missions trip, how many of you have been on a missions trip before? To an impoverished country. Where you been? Columbus? <laughs> so Jordan Bowling, he was sitting here when we preached this message. He visited Haiti. Haiti right now currently is the most impoverished country on the planet. Hi, pastors. I was thinking about you guys last night. You look beautiful. It's good to see you. Haiti at this point in, in, in time is the most impoverished country on the planet. And when we send United States missionaries to Haiti, they don't become poor. The moment you step into a culture, if you're from somewhere else, means that you don't have to be subjected to their shortcomings. You actually come as a missionary as a solution to them. 
So when we're able to rightly answer the question, where am I from, then we don't have to be subject to the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the poverty, the sickness, the death that this world perpetuates. We become a solution to it. But what happens when an ambassador stays in a country a really long time and they lose touch with their homeland, they cease to be an ambassador and they start to be a refugee. Where we're looking for comfort from the system that we were called to change. That was better than you thought it was. You got to think about it. You'll get that one tomorrow. But when we step into a culture that we're sent to as an ambassador, we don't become subject to their poverty and pain because we're not from there. Because our sending kingdom is our supply, our protection, our provision, and our health. When we're sent as an ambassador rather than a refugee, we are governed and taken care of by the sending country. And that's good news, right? So listen, third question, the one we're going to answer this week. Why am I here? How many of you understand that the answer to that question is most of the time the solution to most of the Western culture's depression problems? Because the psychiatrists, the psychologists, the counselors, and the clinicians that I've spoken to lately said that they can categorize most depression lately as something that they're starting to refer to as purpose depression. Meaning life has taken on a nihilistic theme, meaning you can't even figure out why you woke up. Western culture has ceased to lend itself to giving humanity purpose. Let me explain to you. Sometimes when you're not in the culture to understand how it used to be, you can't understand how fallen it truly is. Because about 80 years ago, when you were in a town... Everybody in that town had a purpose. And when the local man that made the horseshoes got sick, everybody in the town took care of him because their horses needed horseshoes. So the guy had value. Without him being there in his community, the community suffered. Now we all work a nine to five. You get sick, they replace you and you die at home. So if we're not plugged into the kingdom culture, we'll be counting on the world system to establish a purpose for us. And we will carry that system into the kingdom and think that our purpose has to be found in tasks and in titles. This is going to be way better than you think it's going to be. Everybody's heard messages on purpose, right? How are you, Miss Bree? Are you preaching? Somebody's looking at you like this. It's a good word. Or Tim's tickling her ribs. Listen. We've been taught in the Western church that our purpose is found in tasks and in titles. Therefore, we've been taught to actually dislike the real reason we're here as humans. And if I tell you that your purpose is to wake up in the morning and manifest Jesus, bring heaven to earth, you're like, eh. Can I be the the director of smiley face stickers in the children's church? Because that would really make me feel good. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? We feel like we don't have value if there is an opportunity for promotion. We feel like we're not waking up to a purpose if there isn't a place that gives us a task or a title. Like, just tell me what to do. 
So we'll never be settled, we'll never be satisfied in being called to manifest his image and bring the reality of heaven to earth. Now, I'm going to cover something today that I didn't cover last night because I feel this church is ingrained enough in grace in the kingdom that I can. How many of you ever played Monopoly? I am so sorry. What, did, did everybody see how many hands just went up? Watch this. How many of you ever finished a game of Monopoly? <laughs> Whatever. Like, you come preach then. I've never finished a game of Monopoly. I didn't say who's ever won because you have to go to the last person's left. I got you. You lying in church. <coughs> Listen. Christianity is famous for becoming preoccupied with the means and completely forgetting about the end. We are famous for getting preoccupied with the means and forgetting about the end. Let's go to Bible study. Let's attend church. Let's heal the sick. Let's raise the dead. But why? Because our understanding of modern Christianity that Jesus is going to come put his fist in the middle of our playing board at some point anyway, and it's all in vain. What fun does that sound like? doesn't sound like much fun to me, does it? But what if you're actually instrumental in bringing the reality of heaven to earth, and if you don't perform, nothing happens? It's not just, let's run this race until he comes back and blows everything up so we can see how far we can get. That's not proper eschatology. That's not right kingdom thinking. Tuesday night at our camp, or excuse me, at our academy, last Tuesday night, I brought two students up to the front and I gave them each separate silent instructions. To one of them, I wrote walk and I showed it to him. To the other one, I wrote walk to the door and stop and I showed it to him and I said, now go. And I made the entire class watch them. The, the, <coughs> the gentleman on my right, he walked to the back door and he stopped. And the other one was going like this. And then he asked the, the question, how do I know when I'm done? I'm like, oh, you preach and you don't even know it. What's the point? The point is that we find a truth in Genesis chapter 1. That God's intention in creating you was to manifest the entire reality of the kingdom on this planet. That everywhere you'd go, you would be the aroma of heaven. That you would be correcting and establishing the culture and the reality of the heaven that you live in. And it's not just about being consumed with the means. It's about running the race towards the end. Because there is a group of people that are looking to be perfected with you. Read Hebrews chapter 11. That we're not here just to rack up some points, blow up, and get judged. You with me so far? We're here to put all his enemies under his feet. David said, your Lord said to my Lord, come sit at my right hand until your enemies become your footstool. Do you know who his feet are? That's us. So our responsibility is to literally dominate everything with the reality of heaven. If there is one thing out of line with the truth of heaven, it's your job to fix it. 
You guys with me? Okay. We'll go further into that later. We're going to continue. Philippians chapter 3. I want to read something to you. Paul says, What things were gained to me, I had to count them lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, counted them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I would attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Meaning Paul was more than willing to count things. Listen, some of you might be reading the King James Version Bible and mine says rubbish, yours says poo. He said, I count all of these things as dung for the excellence of the knowledge of the Son of God. So listen, when we find our purpose to be wrapped up in tasks and titles, what we end up doing is we add a few obligations to our already hectic schedule, and we actually make Christianity something of a burden rather than a privilege. We make our purpose something we fit into our daily schedule rather than counting all things as rubbish for the excellence of the knowledge of the Son of God. He said, I count it all as lost so I can lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Western culture. Listen, we had a, a gentleman named Kevin Kazimi come speak to our academy students, and he is from Iraq. And he grew up in Sweden because he was a refugee because he was going to be killed for his faith. And I said, what's the biggest difference between Western and Eastern Christianity? He said, compartmentalization. I mean, he didn't even have to think about it twice. He said, you guys have your church life, you have your ministry life, you have your work life, you have your family life, you have your hobby life, you have this life. He said, we have one life. And every aspect of that life is dominated by the kingdom. We think we go to church, excuse me, we think we go to work to earn a paycheck. You go to work to advance a kingdom and God is your provision. Your purpose has to be <laughs> your purpose has to be tangible. And it can't be tied to the task. You think I'm gonna be the best steel miller in all the world. No, no, no. You're going to advance the kingdom, raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. <laughs> Sorry, DeAndre, I wasn't picking on you. And you're gonna work as unto the Lord so you can get evidence, give evidence of the body of the person of Jesus and the manifestation of the kingdom, not earn a paycheck. Because I have literally watched kingdom citizens in my life lose jobs and continue to be paid. Because they never put faith in their employer for their provision. They understood that they were an ambassador of the kingdom. Their provision came from their homeland. They just happened to be writing the checks at the moment. Guess what? Their, their bank account still kept supernaturally, miraculously getting paychecks after their employment ceased. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Listen, church, here's what happens. <clears throat> We were never made for ourselves. The intention of God was to make sons and daughters to rule with. But the way that we were fashioned in the image of God was a sacrificial fashion, meaning Jesus was willing to lay his life down on his own accord. Nobody could take it from him. 
Because if he wanted to, he could pick it back up. All of us have that opportunity, but we also have the nature that makes us want to sacrifice. Now, let me explain to you what Western culture has taught us. That if you don't look out for me, myself, and I look out for number one, then somebody will take advantage of you. Then you will become a victim, and you can't let that happen. Because by golly, you're not a doormat. Last I checked, that's not what my Bible says. He says, I lay my life down on my own accord. I will die a sinner's death as a righteous man. That makes Jesus a doormat. But this is what happens. We have been taught that we find our purpose in tasks and titles. I talk to young Christians all the time. I just don't know why I'm here. I'm like, it's so simple. Because no matter what task, no matter what title... The purpose stays the same. It's to be the living, breathing, moving manifestation of Jesus to the world, no matter the task or title. Can you follow me for a minute? These are some things that, listen, every time we sit down with a parent, they're like, I want to be the best mom in the world. I'm like, that's fine. Just don't make that your purpose. Because your kid's going to turn 18. I want to be the best employee in the world. That's fine. Just don't think that's your purpose. Because they'll replace you in a heartbeat. I want to be the best pastor in the world. That's fine. Just don't make that your purpose. Because that can be taken from you in a moment. Listen, if you believe that your children are your purpose, when they leave, you'll be hit with purpose depression. You'll be like, why am I here, God? And you wake up every day depressed and anxious and don't know what to do. But if you understand that your purpose is actually to manifest Jesus and the task at hand is to raise kids, then your responsibility will be through your nature and your care to make sure that your children no longer have questions about the character of God because they got to see you. Jesus said, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Why do you say you haven't seen him? But then he gave us the commission. He said, as I was sent, so I send you. So no matter if it's your aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, or your kids, you can't make them your purpose. They're an opportunity. Your purpose is in that moment to show them who Jesus is and how the kingdom functions. Because if you relate your purpose to a task or a title, it will have an expiration date, and you will be waiting on setting yourself up for a bout of purpose depression. You with me? If you wake up, With nobody in your home, no church service to go to, no volunteer opportunities, Walmart's open 24-7. What am I saying? You're not depressed because you don't have a purpose. You're depressed because you don't want to step into it. You want to hear something crazy? You know... A lot of the times we wrongly separate creation from spirituality. When everything that God made, you know when doctors study the body, the chemistry of the brain, they're studying God's creation. So to separate the two is is wrong. I just read in a psychology book preparing for this sermon. This is a quote. It says, top psychiatrists today say that medication for depression will give you energy. It will make you sleep well, and it will enable you to function in society and get your work done. But it will not get rid of depression. Top psychiatrists say the only thing that does is helping someone sacrificially less fortunate than you. 
That's the American Council of Medicine, folks. That's not even Jesus. They're just discovering the truth of the kingdom is manifest in the body of his creation. So if you're suffering, go serve. You guys know it to be true. I bring up the story all the time. Um, Our best friends, Travis and Leslie, lost their baby boy on October 1st, a few years back. And when that happened, we... We, we dropped everything, and we stayed there with them for four or five days. I mean, we didn't sleep. We didn't eat. And, uh, and we were just there consoling them because they were crushed. They just went through the most traumatic thing of their entire life. And we laid down in bed at night almost feeling guilty because there was such a spiritual satisfaction to laying your life down that you feel good when you give everything away. That is evidence that the nature that lives in you desires to sacrifice your body as a living sacrifice so that you can be used to minister, to serve the people around you. When you wake up, we were talking about this yesterday. What's, what's funny about the world system is it tells you a truth, but then we never catch on to its cycle. Because every time you choose to be self-centered, you're setting your up, yourself, yourself up to be offended. Who wants to be offended? Nobody wants to be offended, but the only way to guarantee offense is that when you make things about you. So the world teaches you, listen, watch out for number one, make sure me, myself, and I are first, and you gotta take time, right? And then you're setting yourself up for destruction, disappointment, failure, and endless cycles of dissatisfaction because it doesn't work that way. But we never come to the conclusion, maybe I should try this differently. And maybe I should allow people to take my life from me. Maybe I should lay my life down so that I can actually be satisfied. Because satisfaction is only found. Listen, Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, guess what will happen? You'll find what you've been looking for. Right? He who desires to come after me must deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Because he knew that satisfaction was on the other side of your death. Good stuff. All right, I'm going to get practical and not so passionate. Is that okay? <clears throat> A few points. First is this. Each one of us, as human beings, have a unique purpose. I, I mean this from the depths of my heart. One of the most, um, one of the easiest ways to get discouraged in the body of Christ is to compare yourself from among yourselves is to think that because he's preaching or she's door greeting or because they just wrote a $10,000 check and I don't have it and whatever, all that stuff, because those things happen, we look around us to establish our value rather than focus on being uniquely who God created us to be. And without you, it is absolutely impossible for the church to manifest her destiny. Paul continually taught that. He said that the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Neither can the eye say to the arm, I have no need of thee. It's impossible for somebody to think they're a better piece of the body than the other parts of the body because they're all needed to accomplish her destiny. Each one of us have the unique ability to be only us. And in this church, listen to me well, if you're not doing what you're called to do, the church is lacking something and nobody in the world is equipped to pick up your slack. It's impossible because you are needed. Not someone, you are needed. Follow me? 
I want to tell you something about the way God makes things. This is something we have to understand. The book of Isaiah chapter 46. (coughs) Verse 10 says, He declares the end from the beginning and the ancient time things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand and I will do my pleasure. That means God has an order to his creation. We read everything front to back, right? We always start at the beginning and work our way to the end. That's not how God creates things. He starts at the end and fashions the destiny. So that means if you exist, if you have breath, if you're taking steps, that means your book is written. The end is foretold. If you started, you're finished. That means that if you're in a place in your life where you feel lost, just keep walking. You're going to get where he's taking you because his intention is for you to walk out the purpose, the manifest purpose that he wrote in the books before the foundation of the world. The simple fact that you exist is proof positive by God's creative nature that he already finished your story. You just need to participate. God requires, asks for, and gives the opportunity to participate in what he intends to do in your life. It won't just happen. (coughs) He gives humans this thing called free will. Mary Mahaffey, I don't think she's here today, but she's usually here. She, she, she said one of the wisest things I've ever heard. When she learned that she had free will, she said, good, I can do what I want with it, right? It's my free will. She's like, then I'm giving it back to God. Because I want nothing to do with that thing. How many of you feel the same way? Yeah, just, just stick the puppet arm right in my back, God, and just let's roll with this, because I'm yours. <coughs> Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should, say should, walk in them. When somebody says you should do something, that means there's an opportunity not to, right? So when, when Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he's not just encouraging them that they are a masterpiece, that they do have purpose. He's encouraging them to participate. And because he's encouraging them to participate, he's giving them the revelation that they have to come Link arms with God and walk this thing out. There's a difference, right? The word workmanship in the Greek language is translated to the word that we say in English as masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. Listen, this is what's beautiful about being a masterpiece, right? My son is an artist. He's a tremendous artist. My other son is a poet. He's a writer. Both of them create things. And you know, anytime somebody looks at their poetry or their art, they never say, man, that poem did a tremendous job on itself. Man, I can't believe that paint just brought itself all over that canvas that way. Man, does it look good. They say, I wonder who created that because by that the creator is glorified that it reflect his majesty. Never once did a painting say, man, I better strive for mediocrity just so I don't take attention away from my creator. You laugh, the church does it all the time. We're afraid of excellence. We're afraid of musical excellence in worship because, oh, heaven forbid, we draw attention to ourselves. We are the reflection of Jesus. What people see in us is what they believe of him. Paintings don't dumb themselves down out of fear that they will draw attention to themselves. That's their purpose. Jesus prayed, Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. David said, increase my greatness. 
Listen, just out of a kind of a social test, I wrote that on Facebook about five years ago. I wrote, increase my greatness, and I didn't quote the scripture, and I had religious people just bashing me. (laughs) They're like, no, you're supposed to pray that the Lord will increase his greatness through you. Get over your dang self. Self-righteousness and false humility ain't my bag. I want to be the best version of me possible. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And as I've been sent, so I send you. So I want all of my actions, abilities, authority, and and enablement to be able to reflect the perfect nature of God. It's a good purpose, right? The masterpiece is always meant to be put on display to bring glory to the one that made it. Unlike humans, paintings never try to stay mediocre out of fear of bringing attention to themselves. Did you know that most Christians are evolutionists and they don't even know it? We as Christians, we fear, we, 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 we have picket lines over evolution in schools, yet we believe it. Because what evolutionists believe is things were created a certain way and they change over time. We believe that humans were created in the image of God and then we just became sinners saved by grace. Or, or worse yet, we believe that we put faith in Christ and then we become a work in progress rather than a finished work. Right? We believe in evolution. Listen, God didn't pay to improve you. He paid to replace you. All things in Christ are fixed. Right? No, that's not what it says. All things in Christ are brand new. The word in the Greek meant prototype, meaning never before seen. You aren't improving, you're not getting better, brother, you know, and all those excuses for staying mediocre. You are made in the image of God and you've been made brand new. The gospel says all things are new. God does not believe in evolution. We as Christians fight evolutionists all the time, yet we believe that the doctrine of God's renewal is the theory of evolution. And the fact is he did not pay to evolve, improve, or fix. He paid to replace. Good stuff? All right. Now, I want to talk about two things. Corporate purpose, universal purpose. They're different. I want to explain that because it's easy to mix the two up. In our corporate purpose, there are apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, workers of miracles, helps, administrations, diversities of tongues. There are things that we do when we gather corporately that make us one body, many members. But do not get your title or function when, you, when you're together corporately mixed up with your universal and your ultimate purpose. Because let me tell you why. In my wallet, I have an ordination card. And my ordination card will get me in the hospital or jail. Anybody want to borrow it? <laughs> That's about it. But here's the thing about my ordination card. If I took my ordination card to Wendy's and I put it on the counter and tried to order something from a dollar menu, I'd still have to take a penny. (coughs) Hear what I'm saying? So when I'm walking through the mall, my pastoral calling or my ordination card means absolutely nothing to the people that look at the the smug look on my face as I'm walking through Walmart. They don't care about God's approval or calling or destiny on my life because to them, I need to be Jesus. 
not Pastor Tommy. So when we gather corporately, it's important that you've embraced your function in the corporate body. You might be called to lead children, but your authority, your responsibility doesn't stop when you leave the classroom. Your religious duty isn't satisfied just because you function corporately because they're separate. Because nobody cares how many kids you taught on Sunday morning when you're walking through Walmart. That is your universal purpose. It's so that you can manifest Jesus to the world. Nobody cares that you're walking around with 15 degrees in theology, 25 master's degrees in divinity. They don't care if you don't look like Jesus. So don't get it twisted. This is where you're equipped for the work of ministry. When we leave these doors, we're all little Christs. Amen? (coughs) So this is the way Paul puts it. I'm going to read a few things from 1 Corinthians and we'll start wrapping up. 1 Corinthians 12, for the body is one. It has many members. All the members are of that one body, and being many, they're one body, just like Jesus. So that means we, as the church universal, have the assignment of bringing heaven to earth and manifesting the fullness of the Godhead. That is our universal purpose. If you ask why the church is here, it's the visible representation of God on earth. Period. But... God is so smart that he knows that when you blend in with a universal purpose, sometimes you identify with the universal purpose and never take responsibility for your own individual purpose. So he goes on and says this. He says, but now indeed you are many members, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I don't need you either. No, but much rather those members of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. So what this is saying is every, not, not everybody is called to do the same thing, but everybody is called to do something. Nobody is privileged to warm a pew or attend a service or go to a Bible study. Those are the means. Folks, listen to me. Don't get into this. It's bad. Don't get so consumed with the means that you forget the end. The fivefold ministry is here to equip the saints. And sometimes we get in this rut of being equipped. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. I want to go to Bible study. I want to go to an academy. I want to go to Sunday morning service. I want to go to worship night. I want to go to a conference and spend $10,000 just to sit under an impartation. And then I want to keep going to services. And I never want to look like Jesus in public. Right? That's church culture. Church became a drug. We live from experience to experience and goosebump to goosebump and service to service and small group to small group. But we get consumed with the equipping and then we never step into the work of ministry. The means. But never coming to the end. <coughs> Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I actually, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference two here just so we don't get uh, out of context. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, God appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. And then in Ephesians 11, he he says, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. This is what I want to ask you. Where are the pew warmers in this list? Where are the Pentecostal pimps? You all know them. Where are the parking lot prophets? I can't find them. It looks to me like everyone's called to submit, 
function in and engage in a healthy local body. That means we have no destiny outside of her. How many of you would like to chop off your hand, send it down the road, tell it to get a job? It's so easy. Oh, boy. I'm going to stop. We have no destiny outside the body. We have no destiny outside the body. I love God, but I hate church. He knows my heart. That's demonic. Are you folks watching my video? Because <laughs> you're all ticked off and church hurt. <laughs> chairs will be filled next week. Whoops. <clears throat> all of us are called to ministry. Now listen, we as a body collectively have an eternal purpose. Everybody say represent. Represent is an English word that has lost its value because we don't understand its Greek context. Re is the prefix that means to do it again, right? Present means to show or illuminate. So when we say represent, we say it fast. We say it kind of without understanding context or meaning. It just means like we show something or whatever it might be. But listen, Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, was presented to the world 2,000 years ago. They got to see the entire incarnation of the word become flesh. The God-man walking on this planet. And then he gives us the commandment, the enablement, and the responsibility to re Present him over and over and over and over. That means that just because he left as a man doesn't mean he still doesn't exist as one body and many members. Meaning the church should still be the experiential reality of having Jesus walking on this planet today. Or we can go back to tasks and titles. We can all feel good because we got a sticker today. You guys know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Whew. Our purpose as human beings is to manifest Jesus. Being a husband is not your purpose. Being a mother is not your purpose. Being the CEO is not your purpose. Being a pastor is not your purpose. Those are callings. But when they're confused with purpose, you give them an expiration date and then you don't know why you're alive. It's a sad place to be. Am I right? Stand with me. I feel like there's a, a revelation that we really need to grasp here this morning. You know, Paul often referred to the life that he was living as a race. That there was a finish line. That there was an end in mind. That he wasn't just consumed with the tasks that made him you know, feel good. That there was actually a day that he would finish the project, right? I ran the race, I fought the fight. So our responsibility is to become completely satisfied in the person of Jesus and the identity that he assigned to us and to not compartmentalize our purpose from the rest of our life. Our purpose invades the rest of our life. No matter if you're an employee, a mother, a father, a pastor, a teacher, whatever it might be, 
Your purpose is to manifest the person of Jesus. And I really, really want you to understand this. More than anything, I want you to understand this. The church is the organization, the organism that God has ordained to bring hope to the world. Listen, if you ask Jesus if he's the hope of the world, he'd say, no, you are. That's not heresy, that's Bible. Because when he was standing in the Feast of Lights, he said, I'm the light of the world. If anyone follows me, they won't walk in darkness. But then he, before he departed, he, he gave us that title. He said, no, you're the light. So Jesus now has bestowed the responsibility of the salvation and reconciliation of this planet to the church universal. And because of that, we are no longer given the right to complain about our current situations. We're no longer given the right to remain victims of the system. We are empowered to be the agents of transformation to the things that are crushing, killing, and burying the rest of the humans that we're surrounded by. We have to claim independence from the system that's murdering our families and come in and be the solution to it and step into our purpose.